0: Hello and welcome to Judge JudgeCast. Uh, I'm CJ Schrader, level 2 from Smyrna, Georgia. I have with me, as always, Jess Dunks. Hey, Jess. Hi, this is Jess. This is episode number 38? 36. 36? 36. Whatever. And it yes. feels like only a month ago we uh, started doing these. We're already at 36. It's pretty amazing. It is indeed. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: we're also joined by Arthur Halibay. Who, uh, Hi guys. Has become kind of a, a, known as a subject matter expert on, uh, manipulation of game materials and has done some, uh, seminars in that vein that we're going to talk about a little bit later. Uh, how are you, Arthur?
2: Uh, I'm, I'm good. Bit worn out after the Grand Prix, Grand
1: Prix Salt Lake City trip, but good.
0: Now, Arthur, uh, I, don't, I don't know anything about you. Um, where, where are you from? So I'm an Elton Judge from Santa Rosa,
2: California. We're, uh, about an hour north of San Francisco, um, in very, very beautiful wine country.
1: Uh, is that a, as opposed to the, the not beautiful wine country? Like there's really ugly wine country? I think
2: <laughs> it's as to the, uh, the less beautiful, uh, river delta that is kind of between us. Mar- Marin's nice and Santa Rosa, Sonoma County's nice and then San Francisco's nice, but this kind of middle region is wet, I think is the best word for it.
1: <laughs> I know we were talking last time about how people don't even know really geography and I'm just like, I'm from Northern California because nobody knows where Back Bill is or any of that stuff so no. um, you know people are going to be like oh wine country I, I think I know where that is but anyway so we have a lot of stuff to talk about today yeah we do uh, some of it's really exciting and I uh, want to look forward to it so what kind of news do we want to start talking about first
0: well, let's start right at the top of the list uh, star city games has released a set of judge sleeves that they're going to be giving out to judges at their events at their star city opens uh, these things are pretty cool I like I like judging a Star City event and then getting some free sleeves. They used to give us the player sleeves, but now they have these uh, special judge sleeves.
1: Uh, Yeah, they, they are really neat. We actually uh, got some of those for judging uh, Salt Lake City. They gave those out. They are pretty neat looking. They say judge right across the middle.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Now, I know that there are some judges that are that maybe don't want to play with them because they feel we're magic judges and not just Star City Games judges, but I also think it's really cool that Star City Games is going out of their way to give their judges special stuff.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Are, are these sleeves opaque? Could you put a double-face card in it? I would not recommend putting it in Yeah, probably not. It'd be funny if a judge gets, uh, game lost for it.
1: That would be really awkward (laughs) to, to game lost someone for, uh, having a marked card in their judge sleeves. Um, and one of the other things they did, uh, Salt Lake City was known for having this gold rush promotion. Yeah. CJ, you heard about this?
0: Yeah, I heard about it. They
1: had had cards from a bunch of old sets put into envelopes, and instead of playmats, that's what they gave out to everybody, and they got random cards from these old sets. Well, the judges didn't participate in this because they were running the event at the time. So later at the judge meeting after day one, they handed the judges a bunch of these Gold Rush envelopes, and in them uh, was a random judge foil from the last seven years.
2: Yeah, that sounds sweet. Well, I think they had one of every judge foil, right?
1: I believe so. I know that I got a, uh orum's chant. I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. <laughs> uh,
2: <laughs> I managed to snag a bob, so I, I was more uh, than that works. happy
1: with um, And then there was a judge conference on Friday and Arthur presented uh, the judge conference, uh, or rather he presented his seminar at the judge conference. We also certified a lot of new judges. I didn't have I didn't have time to see all the seminars because I was actually doing judge testing most of the conference, mm-hmm. and we certified on Friday eleven new L1 judges, and over the weekend there were sixteen L1s and four L2s certified at Grand Prix Salt Lake City, which is that, a huge number.
0: That's pretty amazing. Were they all from like the uh, Salt Lake City area or California, maybe, or were they just from no? All over there, the were, country? there were
1: there uh, were there were a few people from our region uh, in Nevada and and i think some from uh maybe southern california
2: two or three from wyoming right um, two one's and, and i think so, i think one from montana but i'm not sure about that and they were all oh, kind of it was here we go. Of the place so there were eight from utah two from wyoming one each from arizona montana nevada and new mexico
0: and then california wow well california needs more judges that's for sure of course we got 200
1: <laughs> it's something pretty crazy, yeah. yeah. Um. So also, there's a there's a new band list. We haven't talked about that on Judgecast yet.
0: No, because it it came out shortly after our last show. The only changes were made in block constructed. No other cards were banned in any other set and uh, or any other format. And the banned cards are lingering souls and intangible virtue. Uh, I figure because they work well together. I don't know how many people play block, but I as I understand it, that deck was quite oppressive in the format, and every deck was either built to be that deck or beat that deck.
2: Um, I played a little bit of Block Online, and, mm-hmm. and from what I understand, you were half right. Uh, everybody was playing that deck because no deck could beat it.
0: Uh-huh. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so every, deck, every other deck was built to try to beat it, I guess.
2: Right. Well, so there was, from what I understand, from what I saw, and I did play a lot, but I played a bit, there was black-white-splashing-green tokens, and there was black-white-splashing-red tokens... And there was black-white, splashing blue tokens, which was not as good as the other two. Uh, and there was black-white, just black-white tokens, which was probably not as good as splashing green or splashing red. <laughs> so, you know, everybody was playing these cards.
0: I, I was a little surprised to see also Intangible Virtue, because I mean, I understand, um, Lingering Souls. I can understand how good that could be, but Intangible Virtue seemed like an odd pick. I guess, I guess there's still, even without Lingering Souls, there's still enough token decks out there that it's still really good. Right. Um, go ahead,
1: Jess. I was just say, I think it's, uh, you know, it's not just that it's an anthem effect, the fact that it gives this token to vigilance is huge. That's true. You know, the, the ability to attack and block with all of my creatures is just really, really good.
2: Well, it's not just white creatures too.
1: Like, right. giving Sorens
2: to, to vampires uh, plus one plus one in vigilance is, is really important because it's an extra, instead of one life return, it's three life, uh, four, so three extra life return, which makes it really hard to race. Um, and like it makes Garrick's tokens bigger. It's just kind of a lot of random value. All
1: right. Well, so we also had the MTR and IPG come out, right? Yeah. Uh, That's so pretty pretty big what, news. Yes, yeah, it's, it's huge. We've been waiting for this IPG we've, for a while. Yeah, we've and, been talking uh, was, about it
0: since our first show.
1: There was uh, uh there was kind of an April Fool's joke, I guess, that it wasn't going to be out for another two weeks, and I was kind of freaking out on Sunday because I, I was like. Oh my god! why is this Why is this the case?
0: Yeah, that was Toby oh. Elliott He just sent out a tweet that said it was uh or I think it was a Facebook post that said that it was going to be delayed till april twenty first because it interfered with G p Manchester yeah,
1: true? let's talk about the MtR first. There have been some changes there. The altered card policy uh mentions that the art must be recognizable before yeah. it just said that the card itself had to be recognizable, and now it says that the art must be recognizable. Yeah. All they did uh,
0: was add one word. And um some people are upset about this. In my personal opinion, this is just reinforcing policy as it already was. Uh like the policy as it reads now does not change how I evaluate altered cards. Now maybe I was um the, I but I did find I was a little bit more strict than other judges I talked to before this this policy uh clarification. Uh well,
1: uh as people on, on Twitter that follow Arthur know. Uh, I don't know if there's anyone more strict on alters than Arthur. So has this policy changed uh, how you view altered cards, Arthur?
2: I I am very strict. I have been, in fact, called Mr. Unfun on Twitter. Um, I still think it's up to the head judge's discretion. This just makes it easier for the head judge to describe and kind of explain what this discretion means to a player. It kind of gives players a better expectation. I think most head judges still would not have allowed cards. I, I I don't think most judges are going to allow cards or disallow cards differently now. I think it's just a clarification.
0: Well, I do know a few judges who say now they would not allow certain cards that they would have allowed before. But I always felt personally that art should be recognizable. And I have, I have an example that I use. Uh, basically, let's say you have a, I've seen this on the Internet, a Snapcaster Mage where Mega Man is the art. You know, it's been completely covered up. So I'm an English player. You're an English player. You sit down. You cast that. Okay, sure. I know what that is based on the art, and I can read the name and all the text. That's fine. If I'm a like a Japanese player, and you're an English English player, and I don't you know I don't read English too well. You play this card, this uh, altered art Snapcaster Mage. I have no idea what that is now because I I can't read English too well. Uh, I can't tell just visually by looking at it. I think it just causes a little bit too much confusion. Yeah, sure, that player can just call a judge, but I don't think that's something they should necessarily have to do. I feel like you should be able to recognize cards by their art, and I feel like two people shouldn't have to speak the same language to play Magic.
1: Yeah, that's uh, that's uh really interesting, and I know that that's uh, I've had the opportunity to play against players that didn't speak English hardly <clears throat> at all, and uh, there was a whole lot of uh, kind of pointing and grunting going on during the match to to designate targets and whatnot yeah. but but there was never an issue of what card is that because we didn't have any alters and if we had that could have been very very confusing yeah and let's see there's uh so there's a few go ahead
0: i think
2: the thing here is recognizable still means um you know that it's clear that it's that Card. I don't think this is going to be preventing or disallowing alters at all, which there was some concern about from the community. Mm-hmm. Um, it just means that when you're altering, like a player needs a player from any language, any culture needs to be able to look at it and say, "Oh, that's a Snapcaster Mage." Yeah. So, in like the Mega Man example, if you give Snapcaster Mage a Mega Blaster, um, yeah, and it's still like if the first response is, "Oh, that's a sweet Snapcaster Mage," I think it's probably going to be fine. And I think that's what we should try to, you know, let people know. Alters are still okay to a certain extent.
0: Yeah. I agree.
1: So there's a few things that, uh, that have, that are significant in the, the new MTR and IPG. I personally am a huge fan of one of them and it is the, uh, changes to the play draw rule for the top eight of premier events.
0: Yep. And we uh, talked about these at length, uh, last time, but now they we
1: are. We did. We did, but now they are, uh, official and, and, and codified and we can go, yay, we're doing this. And, yeah. and uh, they actually did this at Salt Lake City where the players who got to choose whether to play or draw in the top eight was based on Swiss standings. And there was actually a bit of hubbub because uh, one of the players at table one decided that they wanted to play instead of draw in the last round just because they wanted to play first in the top eight. And that doesn't usually happen at GPs. And it ended up knocking the other player out of top eight. Well,
0: it seems fine to me though.
1: Uh yeah, I mean it's awkward for that player, of course. It's extremely frustrating for the guy who ends up in ninth on breakers because of that. But I think that the goal was to make sure that people played magic. Yeah. And and uh and I guess this is helping accomplish that goal. So I'm a fan of this change. Um and then the uh the other the other thing I'm a fan of is that Players must indicate uh how they're keeping track of their life total and you must announce your life total. Uh both players'
2: life totals.
1: Well yeah, both players' life totals whenever there is a change. So I I am a fan of this because I mean I've seen good magic players who keep track of the game state already doing this anyway. And I'm a huge fan that they're that they've put it into the documents now. Uh so it, it just helps avoid confusion of You know, oh, my Dralph messenger undies and you're dead. Well, no, I was at three, not two. It's gonna help avoid that kind of situation.
0: Yeah, I I think it's, I think it's a great change for exactly those reasons you just said. Uh, And, and, you know, I'm gonna up read the, the line from the MTR to be clear here, but basically, well, I'll just read it. Uh, It says, at the start of a match, each player must indicate how he or she will keep track of his or her life total. This method must be visible to both players during the match. A shared method is acceptable as long as all players in the match have access to it. And then also says, a change in a player's life total should be accompanied by a verbal announcement by that that player of the new life total. Uh, This should cut down on a lot of those life total mistakes, which are uh, where two people disagree on what the life total is. It, it, those kinds of situations can be very difficult to, to fix. Uh, and also, before this change, your life total was part of your notes, basically. So it didn't 100% have to be accurate. Uh, there was different arguments for that, but technically speaking, it didn't have to be. And, and now it's 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 out there. It's, it's information you have to keep track of accurately.
1: I, I do find it interesting that they allow a shared method mm-hmm. to be used. So uh, I don't know how many times you've sat across from a player and you have your pad for the life total, and they go, "Oh, you're keeping track of it? Okay." And they just like, yeah, they, they want to let you keep track of it. Previously, that was technically not okay, um, and now it's just a bad idea. But it's allowed mm. um, as long as the player is still keeping track of their own life total mentally and announcing it. Then, then that'll be fine. Um, I still would encourage players to keep track of their own life total and not just let their opponent do it. And their opponent's life total. And, and their opponent's life total. Yes. Uh, but I, I, I'm glad that, especially for, you know, situations that are less competitive, that this is, uh, something that's gonna be allowed. Yeah. Uh, and then, does
2: what if you actually have the, the notes up here? Does it also specify poison for this?
1: Uh, no. Uh, it, it doesn't specify po- poison totals, which is interesting, uh, because that, I guess you could argue that the life total extends to that, but uh, it doesn't specifically state anything about uh, poison counters. However, they are counters, which makes them part of the game state.
2: Right. So so just to be clear for players, you know, if you um, aren't actually putting counters on yourself, um, it's best to actually record them somehow. Um, I know I'd be happy and uh, look favorably upon players who also announced, oh, I'm taking this Ink Moth Nexus. I'm at 14 life and 2 poison. Hmm. And that's not. A, I'm not saying you guys are required, but it would make me happy.
1: That phrasing is interesting. Putting counters on yourself. I, I kind of want to show up to a tournament now with some sort of uh, velcro <laughs> vest so that I can put little you know, counters you on see myself. The
0: coolest guy at that tournament.
2: Just <laughs> breathe on the sleeve and slap it on your forehead. <laughs>
0: Okay, well, there's one other change in the uh, MTR that we wanted to discuss, and basically players are now allowed to use your cell phone or any electronic device you have to look up Oracle text for yourself. Uh Part okay. of that means that you cannot look up other significant strategic advice, so you still can't be like, well, I'm going to look up this Oracle text and then also look up how to play my deck on Star City. Uh Star City's not a sponsor of us, but we've said them a lot this time, so <laughs> maybe Star City, if you want to sponsor us, wink. Yeah, us that's always Yeah, right. Uh, <laughs>
1: So players can look up their the oracle text on their phones. Uh, however, it still has to be available to both players. Yes. So I can't look it up and go, "Oh, I'm looking up the oracle text for Goblin Guide." Really, that's what I'm doing, mm-hmm.
0: but I'm not going to let you look. <laughs> Which basically anything you ever have on your phone has to be available to both players. That that came with a. Jeez, uh, was that this MTR or a previous MTR where you? Could that was start? actually a, a previous yeah. MTR. It has to be available. So if you're sitting there with your life counter open on the table you and you get some text message, well, you got to let the other player read that text message if it popped up on your screen. Uh, it be awkward.
2: Yeah, yeah, it might be awkward. Yeah.
0: Um, um, and
2: I should say that as a player, if you're wondering what the oracle text of this card in your hand is and you don't want your opponent to know, you can still call a judge and say, Judge, can I talk to you away from the table? What's the oracle text for this? Uh, and they will help you out there.
0: Or if you just own a dinosaur phone.
2: Or if you just own a din- wait, what? Oh right. yeah, or if you do not have a smartphone to look up Oracle desktop. Yes. Yes,
1: yeah, so a, a dinosaur phone, you know. Yeah. For all those people that don't have the, the new savvy
0: technology. I have you, a friend who can't receive text messages, so, like, that's how is, his phone is. Is this a judge friend? Do no. we know
2: of any judges that don't have smartphones?
0: It's almost everyone now.
1: Speaking of smartphones, I know that we have a, a actual electronics policy now which or electronic devices policy now which makes me happy but uh just as soon as we get this I I see an article that Google uh introduced uh, augmented reality glasses that they are working on and the the idea behind this is that you put these glasses on and you can when you look at things the glasses automatically feed you information about it so I could or or you could interact with them somehow so you you could look at your friend who's coming and uh, and Google will recognize, oh, you're supposed to meet this person at this time and you're doing that and update your calendar because it recognizes their face and stuff like that. And that kind of thing would, you know, w- my first thought was this is a nightmare for tournaments. You know, if somebody has this in their glasses and they <laughs> sit down at an event and the, their their glasses recognize the person's face and Google search them and see all of their deck lists for the past year, uh, before they finish shuffling, you know? That's, That's literally <laughs>
0: your first thought, and not that, you know, we're living in a Star Trek era. Not something <laughs> like that. It was, it was my first thought, too. It's, how does this affect magic tournaments?
1: <laughs> well, uh I mean, it is really cool at the same time. It's a really awesome thing. I just it, uh, Pretty sweet. It, I, I think it was because I went from one thing to the other. I, I was having discussions about magic at the time that I read this article, so that was probably why it was my first thought. Sure. Uh but the other the second thought was actually how cool would it be to implement that for judges like if you had one or two judges that had something like that when they were walking around on the floor and they could just look at a game state and it would give them information about it or they could look at a player and it would go you know this player is on the suspended list you know <laughs>
2: or um, even even just this you know, you don't have to ask players, if you received a warning for this yet, this tournament? You know, you have immediately, this player received a warning for a slow play in round one. Let's, you know, be aware that this will be an upgradable penalty when he if he keeps doing this and treat him appropriately. Right. Or, yeah. that's that's a Japanese Vendillion click on the board there. I need to look up oracle text, but these glasses overlay the English, so I know what the oracle text for this card is.
0: Luckily the art on that card is recognizable, otherwise the glasses wouldn't be able to figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: and that's, that's something that, obviously that's years down the road, but, uh, that would be really awesome tech to have at, at, a, mag- at a large magic tournament. And in some ways probably would have been helpful, uh, to me when I was judging Salt Lake, to be honest with you. But, uh, that's, that's enough about those, we're probably yeah. gonna bring that up again later, cause that's a really neat concept, but, uh, what were the changes to the IPG that we need to talk about? Uh,
0: well, before we dive into the changes about the IPG... Well, you
1: know, were, were there any? I mean, you know, it's just <laughs> another IPG,
0: right? Like, <laughs> no. There, there weren't any significant changes or anything. No, there uh-huh. were significant changes. Now, <laughs> I am certain, since by the time this is released, the IPG will be out by a week, for about a week, that everybody's heard of the changes to lapsing abilities yes. by now. Uh, but before we dive into those, I just want to say that uh, Judge Cast North, our bitterest rival, really beat us to the punch on this one. And they have Toby Elliott, the Master of Policy and Level 5 Judge, on their show, Disgusting. Disgusting? Disgusting? Uh, that was a Disgusting. slip. Yes, that's, uh,
1: that's exactly what they're doing. <laughs>
0: um, lapsing abilities and then maybe other updates to the IPG. And so we are going to cover lapsing abilities, but we're not going to go quite as deep into them as they will probably go. And so for this time, at this time only, we're going to recommend that our listeners go listen to Judge Cast North and see what their opinions are on lapsing abilities.
1: I'm totally okay with that, because that means that they get to go beat a dead horse with the IPG, and we get to secure and have fun and talk about cuckoo glasses.
0: Yeah, we're going to talk about (laughs) Arthur's uh, (laughs) seminar, which I'm I'm excited to talk about. So, of course, the unfortunate thing is that this time, we have no idea what they talked about, because it hasn't come out yet, so... Maybe, maybe nobody talks about lapsing abilities for some reason. Yeah, check, check the show notes. And if we actually note not to go check them
2: out because (laughs) something changed, then don't ignore this past, you know, few minutes. But otherwise,
0: go check them out. Yeah. So since Uh, we started off talking about lapsing abilities, I guess let's get into them.
1: So what's a lapsing ability, guys? What, what, what exactly does that mean?
0: That's a re- rebranding of what used to be the optional ability section of the IPG, although this time it's all been cleaned up. Uh, one important note is that if you're a player and you see your opponent miss their own trigger, you never have to point that out. Now, that that doesn't have anything to do with lapsing abilities quite yet, but that's one of the main changes here is uh, you never have to point out your opponent's triggers. Um,
1: so, and- So you're saying that if my opponent has trying to burning rage, I, I don't have to remind them five turns straight that they get to put a counter on it. Correct. Okay. And
0: to be clear, IPG changes only affect competitive and professional REL. So everything at regular REL is still the exact same it always was.
1: So, so I still have to remind them at Friday Night Match?
0: Yes, you do. Alright.
1: So basically you're let me get this straight. So they're uh they're printing less May abilities and when they uh when your opponent forgets uh, something that is a a mandatory trigger. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't have to point it out anymore. Mm-hmm. But what if they remember? Is that is that that's changing with these lapsing abilities, right? Because yeah, the lapsing abilities are things that are supposedly beneficial to my opponent.
0: So the issue there was with less may triggers, judges had to give out more miss triggers because people were missing their own triggers more often. And those shrines that you brought up are like the the poster child for these these missed triggers because. It's, it's an easy trigger to miss, but, uh, but it gets missed, um, a lot, but it's, it's easy to forget too, which is a synonym for easy to miss. So I, I'm just chattering. So, <clears throat> so a lapsing ability is basically an ability that maybe in past times would have been printed with a May. And if you miss your own lapsing ability, we don't put it, it's as if you chose not to do it. Now you cannot intentionally miss any of your old of your own triggers. That is fraud. But if you do happen to miss it, and it's a lapsing ability, then we don't put it on the stack. We just say, oh, you missed it. Uh, an example of this is Soul Warden, or the Shrine triggers, where Soul Warden is a lapsing ability. It just makes you gain one life whenever a creature enters the battlefield. If you miss that, uh, not intentionally, then we're just like, well, it's basically as if you chose not to gain life. Of course, you had no choice in it, but okay, basically the same so, distinction. Now, so- uh, the IPG has
1: a list of things that it calls uh, lapsing abilities, and we're not gonna list all of them here. Uh, if you're a judge, you should definitely read the, the, the list of lapsing abilities. But one of the interesting things to note is that some things are sometimes lapsing abilities. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and that's the, the best example of that is, uh, Manic Vandal. In that, if Manic Vandal comes into play and the only target would be your own artifact, that's not a lapsing ability. But if Manic Vandal would come into play and could destroy your opponent's artifact, then it becomes a lapsing ability and, and we would not put it on the stack. Yep. And Do we, I understand that correctly?
2: Yes. And would you say that this is, this is as far as the understanding of the game state goes. If the opponent's artifact is like a dark steel sentinel and can't be destroyed, that doesn't affect whether or not it's a lapsing ability. And if the opponent's artifact is something like say an Icar wellspring, which you probably don't want to destroy, you might want to destroy your own extra, uh, what have you instead. It's still a lapsing ability.
0: Right. And so there's some other uh, awkwardness to this, is that if if I... Let's go back to this good old Soul Warden, because she's she's easy. Uh, if I have my Soul Warden trigger, you know, my opponent may want me to gain life for some reason. Maybe I'm at Fateful Hour, and he doesn't want me to be anymore. Uh, my opponent can point it out immediately, and we'll go ahead and do what we normally do for a miss trigger. We'll go ahead and put it on the bottom of the stack and resolve that trigger. Uh, we will not give any penalties in this situation if you're if your ability is a lapsing ability then we're not giving any penalties it's it's basically the same as missing a may trigger now your opponent's window to point out that trigger and have it happen if it's a lapsing ability is very he has a small window to do it uh, basically the turn is split up into a pre-combat time combat time and then after combat time so so if you have a soul warden you know and you're like you attack me, or you play a creature, you attack me, in your second main, I'm like, wait, you never gained a life for that trigger. That's too late. It has to be pointed out in that same third of the turn. Otherwise, you can't, uh, we can't put the lapsing ability on the stack. Now that only applies to lapsing abilities. For the old, good old fashioned non-lapsing abilities, like, uh, anything else, give you a non-lapsing ability. We've talked about them so much that now I can't think of non-lapsing abilities.
1: Um, well, Howling Mine would be a non-lapsing yeah. ability.
0: You can't. Um, you can point that one out a little bit later. You can actually. You have up to a full turn cycle to point that one out, and it'll go on the stack, which can, which can be a little bit awkward. But for the most part, it probably works out fine. And um,
2: I think, me just talking earlier, we should point out that for any of these awkward things that you can kind of engineer situations for them, which you know us judges probably can because we like intricacies.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, they all require an opponent to miss a trigger first. So they all require something to happen that should not be happening all that often, if at all. So
0: sometimes, you know, awkwardness will happen, but not very often. So is there anything else we want to say in lapsing abilities? I kind of did all that from memory. And I think, we- Um
1: no, I think we, I think we pretty much covered that. I don't want to go too far into it since they're going to cover that on Judge Cast North. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are the other, uh, things that were changed in the IPG? Cause everything is kind of going to get overshadowed by this lapsing abilities yeah. thing.
0: Uh, but real quick, I will post in the show notes a link to Toby Elliott's article also about lapsing abilities where he goes into great detail about everything. And I, and I feel like if it's something you really want to understand, that article is what you need to read. And if you're a player who happens to listen, uh, basically all you need to know is you don't need to point out your opponent's triggers anymore. Nothing else is that relevant to you.
1: Right. Cause you could still not choose to miss your own abilities. Play the game the same way you would. Just realize that if you're Opponent forgot to do something and, and you don't want them to actually do the thing they forgot to do, uh, you don't have to remind them.
0: Alright, so another change to the RPG was that multi-day event reset the Grand Prix, uh, Grand Prix GP, gameplay error upgrade paths between days. And, and the normal procedure here is that if I give Jess a mistrigger, uh, he gets a warning. If I give him another mistrigger, he gets another warning. And then if I, he gets a third trigger in that same day, he would get a game loss. Now the old, the old procedure was, I give him two missed triggers on the first day, and then I give him another missed trigger day, day day three, he gets a game loss. But now these, these, uh, the, the tracking of penalties resets between the days, so he would just have three warnings total across the two days.
1: Yeah, there was, uh, there was, uh, one player who, uh, uh, definitely explored the upgrade path at (laughs) Grand Prix Salt Lake City, and that was, uh, Scott Marshall, I don't know if you, you you two have either heard of Scott Marshall, but. Oh, uh, the level 5 judge? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he, he definitely uh, pretty much explored the, uh, GRB path as far as it could go. He kept forgetting about his own Thalia in play and not paying enough mana for, for his spells.
2: And, and I think he mentioned that this Thalia was a last minute inclusion that, that was a, oh, you have to play with that, that card's so good.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh,
2: so, uh, he said it wasn't his fault, it was, you know, the other people who told him to run Thalia.
0: Oh, clearly
1: it's He actually specifically blamed Kibler. <laughs> uh, was <it> Kibler? Yeah. <laughs> he said he said it was Kibler's article that made him that made him run Thalia, so he blames Kibler for his game losses.
0: Um There were there were people in IRC who were wondering, was he actually missing them or was he just trolling the head judge? But if he was doing it on purpose, that's cheating. I, and if we would have had no. a level five be disqualified.
1: Uh, he was definitely doing it by accident. I, I know. Was, he, I'm was sure he was definitely making mistakes uh, and, and forgetting about his own thing. I'm, I'm sure um, he's
0: smart enough not to get disqualified. Yeah, even if he might. get a I game think lost. the eventual,
2: I think the eventual resolution of this was that he uh, played in a bunch of side event eight man standards, um, which may or may not have been win a box standards uh, after dropping from the open.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so the other change to the IPG.
2: Well, uh, I'm sorry, just to jump in, this is gameplay errors only, not tournament errors. So things like insufficient shuffling uh, or slow play don't yeah. reset three days on right. GPs. So that's, yeah, that's probably a, important.
0: That's a now. great point. Very important. Thank you.
1: Um, the other thing is we have a change or addition, I should say, to how ha- uh, things that we can partially fix with GRVs. And that is that objects in the wrong zone uh, that should have been put into a graveyard or, or things of that nature uh can just be put there if it's within a turn cycle we don't necessarily have to back up to that point in the game so uh for example if uh a creature took lethal damage and my i and my opponent didn't realize that it took lethal damage and it's still in play we within a turn cycle we can just move it to the graveyard instead of backing up the entire game past draw steps and and things to deal with that
2: you know what it probably helps with though is uh, Judge, I didn't shuffle this Green Sun
0: Zenith into my deck.
1: Yes. Right. Yeah, that's, that's gonna be, uh, a significant help there.
0: Yeah, it's, it's nice, cause previously we had to rewind everything, or we'd leave it in place, and, and you'd get some awkward like, hey, why's that Emmerichol in that graveyard? Things like that.
2: Why, why do I get to surgical extraction your Green Sun Zenith?
0: Yes, exactly.
1: Uh, and for, for, uh... Complete... I think the Emmerichol thing would actually be, uh, a mistrigger. Probably. And uh, something my opponent doesn't have to point out if he wants my Emrakul
0: to be in my graveyard. I think I meant...
1: Um, you were talking about Blakeshaw
0: Colossus. Yeah, yeah, Colossus, whatever. Is uh, Progenitus... Uh, is
2: Emrakul
1: elapsing
0: ability? Uh, I th- <laughs> we weren't going to get into this.
1: Uh, I don't think Emrakul counts as elapsing ability. Uh, since I'm pretty sure it doesn't fall into any of the criteria... Uh for a lapsing ability. Uh there is one of the things for lapsing ability is something that instructs you to put a permanent uh were y- control into your library, but at that point it's not a permanent, it's a card in your graveyard. And it's a bunch of cards. Yeah, I'm I'm gonna go with no as well. I just Right. I'm gonna say it's it is not a lapsing ability, but that still doesn't it still allows that your opponent does not have to point it out to you. So if you forget to shuffle your
0: library, you can't go,
1: Oh, I I forgot about this Ebergle out. Oh, it's too late.
0: Yeah. No, that's probably uh, one of those triggers your opponent will let you. Uh, usually, yeah, just let be like no, so, he can stay.
1: The last piece of news we have uh, is there was uh, some official guidance given about how to post standings at events like PTQs. There were there was some situation where a judge had decided that he was going to uh, post standings but cut the tiebreakers off the side uh, and then post them that way. And this got back to Wizards and they decided we don't want people doing that. And we got official guidance that said that standings must be posted for the last two rounds of an event uh, with tiebreakers and must be up for five minutes before being pulled down.
0: And that's interesting to me because I I used to always only post them uh, before the final round personally. So, but it's nice to have it standardized, you know, that we're all going to do the same thing now.
1: Yeah. So it's, it's nice to know that I could go to, you know, CJ's event and in, in the other end of the country, on the other end of the country, and and know that the the PTQ is going to be run pretty much the same way.
0: Mm-hmm. There was one time I posted outstanding's, printed outstanding's, and I did them alphabetically because I thought I was being helpful. I was like, oh, now you can find your name way easier. God, that uh, all. There was hell to pay. Like
1: I have definitely seen places do that. Um, I've I've seen that happen at Star City Games Invitational qualifiers before. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Um, because the, the TO or the judge thought that exactly that. It'll, it'll be helpful. Everyone can find it better. Yeah. They don't actually understand what it is we're looking for. I was swarmed if, immediately. If you want to be helpful, like there's nothing that says you can't
2: post two standings next to each other, one that's by rank and one that's by name. And sure. like if you've got the spare time and the spare paper, that would be a great customer service thing for the players to kind of give the players who are interested in whether or not they'll make prize a chance to check their points to make sure they're correct uh and the players who are interested in top 8ing a chance to look at the top 8 standings.
1: Yep. So that's all right. that's all the news that we have uh well, I
2: think is there anything else you want to talk about? There's actually another thing added with the uh the official clarifications for the upcoming PTQ season which had to do with sharing deck lists for top 8s. And I know the last tech PTQ here in Northern California that I judged uh, about half the top 8 was surprised that I wasn't giving them all of the deck lists and time to review them. Um, and there's kind of a discussion going on right now uh, as to whether or not this should be done because Star City hands out deck lists because with their coverage, they feel that people are going to have a chance to see top eight decks already and it would provide an unfair advantage to some of the players. Um, but there's still this attitude that Magic is a collectible game and a, uh, part of the winning is having this sweet card that no one's expecting. So there is an official clarification on handing out lists among the top eight before you start playing the top eight rounds. And that official clarification is... Uh, head judge's discretion. So, you can get them, you cannot get them, um, do not expect to get them. Um check with the head judge. And, uh, if you are a head judge in a PTQ, uh, perhaps announce this at the start of the round that, or not the round, start of the event that we will or will not be handing out top 8 deck lists to players.
0: Yeah, now if I remember correctly, that's, that's for PTQs and above. You can't do this at a GPT or anything else like that. Is that correct?
2: Right, this is, uh, I believe PTQs uh, well, I think it's this particular is only PTQs. Mm-hmm. Um, above PTQs do get decklists handed out, and below PTQs don't. Okay. PTQs are kind of this middle ground where it is a head judge's discretion. All right.
1: And now we get to the, get to the part that I'm uh, excited to hear about. Uh, as I mentioned before, Arthur has kind of uh, become a subject matter expert in uh, manipulation of game materials and has given some seminars at judge conferences about it. And uh, I wanted to talk about uh, that kind of thing, so uh, I saw his seminar in Salt Lake City and was uh, very impressed. A lot of people were really interested in what he had to say. It was by far the most popular seminar um, uh, even passing uh, uh Ricky Hayashi's "How to Give a Good Review" seminar. I think that that I kind of wanted to talk about that. What kind of stuff can you tell us about uh manipulation of game materials? through an audio format, without being able to really show people.
2: Well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to show you these cards in my hand.
1: Oh, <laughs> Right. Right?
2: Uh, but I can tell you that uh, I think it's very important that we, as judges, talk about this. Um, I know that we there's kind of this concern, for many reasons, that we shouldn't talk about cheating, and we shouldn't kind of cover um, not just manipulation of game materials, but the other kinds of cheating in judge seminars, because... It kind of gives an impression that, you know, we're out to get players or we're thinking about cheating rather than running events. Or it could give an impression that um, we're, you know, more focused on things that we shouldn't be focused on. Uh, I think that's, I, I understand the intent behind that, and I understand that it's people wanting to be careful, um, but I disagree. I think as judges, you know, as much as we run events and as much as we help players fix game situations, we are also, also responsible for taking care of the shadiness and removing it. And so I think that um, kind of addressing cheating um, is something that needs to be done at seminars.
0: So I'm, I'm a judge who's never given a disqualification yet. I know it's going to come one day, probably for improperly determining a winner. Uh, so what exactly is manipulation of game materials? What does that mean? So, so sure,
2: quick and dirty, manipulation of game materials is cheating physically um, instead of lying about things or uh, otherwise, you know, misrepresenting the game state, and so that means that if you uh, are stacking your deck, uh, that's manipulation game materials, or if you are marking your cards in a way that you can actually tell what those cards are, uh, or if you're, you know, sliding extra cards into your hand or moving things around the battlefield where they where they shouldn't be. Um, and yes, this is manipulation game materials. And this is not like, oh, that guy's dead, right? This is actually picking a card out of the graveyard and sliding it onto the battlefield. Uh, basically if cheaty face were not legal, anything that puts cheaty face onto the battlefield would be manipulation game
1: materials.
0: Those are some terms I can get behind. Now I understand cheaty face. <laughs>
1: um, so, you know, with, with, here, here's a question that I know you've had people ask you uh, when you do a seminar about cheating and manipulation of game materials. Um, aren't you afraid that by giving these presentations, and maybe where some players can see them, uh, that that players are going to be learning how to cheat based on your presentation?
2: Uh, you know, a lot of people have asked me that question, um, and and I have to kind of bite my tongue and not... And not to offend these people, but not to chuckle at them, I have to kind of stop and realize that they they perhaps have not approached it from my point of view. Um, Part of my uh, being comfortable at it is that I'm actually not that good at physically manipulating things. So when I pick up a deck of cards and say, here's what it looks like, um, it looks very, very sloppy compared to uh, a professional magician, for example. So if somebody is watching me and trying to copy me to do things properly – they're they're not doing the best job that they could be doing. Um everything that I cover in the seminar, um, if you're one player kind of figuring out, well I could do this to cheat, there's now how many do you know how many judges we had at the seminar in Salt Lake City, Guess. Um I want to
1: say thirty something? I, I think we had more, more than that. More than that, yeah. There were a lot of judges. Um, but so the point being that for
2: this one seminar, there's at least thirty more judges that are also learning this is what it looks like if you try to cheat this way. And I know we had for some of the seminars, including mine, uh, a significant number of players come over and kind of watch and stand in because it was the same room. it was between rounds. they had nothing else to do. So we also have all of these players that are also gaining you know, the knowledge of this is shady. we need to look out for this sort of thing. and i I really feel that the advantage gained from all of these players knowing what it looks like and not wanting to do it is going to outweigh the random player or even two or three players that decides to cheat because of this.
1: So Um, what you're you're saying is that you want you actually want players to see it so that the players know what to look for, and then they can call a judge when they see something shady. I want everyone to
2: see it. I want players to see it. I want judges to see it. I want TOs to see it. Uh, I want people who come with their players to events to... Watch them and uh, cheer for them to see it as well. Uh, I think that cheating is um, kind of bad for the community, and if you care about the community, you should kind of watch for it and help to make it not happen so much.
0: Um, I think it's then, safe to say that the majority of players wouldn't cheat. You know, the vast majority of people won't cheat. So teaching them how to cheat isn't going to make them cheaters all of a sudden. And I think the most succinct way to say it is, cheaters going to cheat. It doesn't matter what you do. Right. Yeah.
1: I, Go ahead, Jess. I was just saying, I, I think that the, you're absolutely right. So, uh, when it comes to teaching people how to, how to see what they're doing when they're cheating, uh, I think that's an excellent goal because we want players to be, because we, we as judges can't watch every table all the time. And, uh, a player can watch his match. And if he sees something that looks like cheating, he needs to call a judge and let us know.
2: Um and I was gonna say as well, uh, I don't think that these presentations are kind of convinced players to cheat um, that weren't already going to cheat. I think that, unfortunately, there are players that are uh, interested in prizes more than anything else and maybe have the idea of, I'm going to cheat at cards. Is this guy going to make me better at it? Um, and just, you know, for fun, I just pulled up YouTube and YouTube uh, searched for how to cheat at cards. Uh and I'm looking at eighteen thousand and six hundred results. Uh <laughs> so it's not that I am the first person ever to talk about this sort of stuff. Um I am kind of adding it to the specific magic community, and that is a bit different than a lot of these. But if you're looking at how to palm a card or how to you know, draw an extra card, there are plenty of resources that are not in my seminars uh to be searched and found.
1: So uh briefly can you describe some of the things that that maybe judges out there who won't have the chance to go to a judge seminar uh should maybe look for if they're looking for just general uh signs of manipulation of game material yeah by all means um well first I think the important thing that
2: I bring up that um kind of gets reviewed well is that uh any any player at an event um if they're acting shady should be kind of looked at the same way just because a player's... At the top tables, as opposed to the bottom tables, or at the bottom tables, as opposed to the top tables, does not mean that um, they should be kind of forgiven for mistakes. Uh, players kind of have different motivations and intents for cheating, uh, and those motivations are present anywhere in an event. Um, somebody who's gone O2, um, if you're concerned that that player is cheating, um, they could still be cheating. Going O2 is not evidence that they are not. Um, so, yeah anyone is a potential suspect if they kind of raise your suspicions, um, be willing to look at anyone. Uh, as far as actually figuring it out, uh, watch players, look at them. Um, most people who cheat will eventually make a mistake. Um, the first or second or third or fourth time they can do it fine. The fifth time is the one that catches them. Um, if you, as a judge, have a gut feeling that this person might be cheating, um, watch them or assign another judge to watch them and keep watching them. And eventually they will make a mistake. This is not a, they they might make a mistake, you know, they will make a mistake. Uh, might not be this event, might be next event, but it will happen sooner or later. Particularly for something like magic where, you know, the, the cards are in sleeves, the cards are, you know, kind of stiffer than a poker deck. It's a lot harder to get away with a lot of those physical types of things. Uh, so that's, that's a good kind of quick and rough general looking for manipulation game materials. Um, as far as the individual parts of manipulation game materials like exhibition shuffling or marked cards marked cards or drawing extra cards. Um, generally as a judge you want to learn and train yourself to watch the cards themselves and not a player's face and not what the player is gesturing at. So um, a lot of what I walked, walked over in my seminar was kind of misdirecting the opponent and misdirecting the judges. And so if you're going to draw two cards on your turn with your right hand from your deck, a lot of times you'll take your left hand and, you know, move it over to the left side to reach for a die. Or you'll move your left hand forward and say, what's the oracle text on this card on your opponent's thing? Or, or you'll point and say, this came in last turn, right? And kind of get everybody, players and judges included, looking at that effect. So they're not looking at your hand on top of your deck. So that's that's a good thing. Train yourself, watch the deck, the cards itself, not just the hand.
1: Um, so what, one thing that I was really impressed with uh, your demonstration of was something that I know some players have read about and some judges have read about, but not everybody knows about this. Uh, is called the Double Nickel. And I'm pretty sure you can describe that without showing it to people. Uh, showing helps, but uh, is that something you can describe uh, without, without having cards in front of you? I think yeah. I should be able to. Is that worth like 10 cents? It is about 10 cents, yeah. No. Uh, so CJ, have you ever heard of the double nickel? No, I've never heard of this double okay, nickel. Okay, so, so let's, let's describe this real quick for our listeners. Let's, let's ask actually CJ. CJ, so if your opponent is pile
2: shuffling, uh-huh. and they pile shuffle, I don't know, what's a good number you guess, five piles? Sure. Uh, so they pile shuffle in five piles, and they stack them up, and then, you know, they figure one pile of shuffle isn't enough, so they pile shuffle another five times, another time into five piles, and then they present. What do you do?
0: Well, that seems like insufficient shuffling. Uh, well, am I the opponent or the judge? You're the opponent here. I'm going to shuffle that deck pretty thoroughly. Probably should call it judge.
2: So the, the shuffling is okay, but the calling a judge is probably the best thing to do here. Yeah. Um, this this kind of goes into pile shuffling, which most people think is less random or, you know, quasi-random. Pile shuffling isn't actually at all random. And this is something that I, I cover a lot in the creation of game materials. Um, when you pile shuffle a deck, you know exactly where all the cards are. And and if you are kind of trained enough to keep track of 60 cards in your head, you can know the entire order of cards in the deck. You can put cards in specific locations. You can put cards together or separate them. Uh, and the presentation at the conference, which was kind of thrown together last minute because I did not have materials with me, was some different colored sleeves um, that were evenly distributed through the deck to start with, and then pile shuffling put them all on top and then all on the bottom, and then equally distributed again at, you know, 15, 30, 45, and 60 cards deep. So you could make sure that you would always get, say, one Squadron Hawk. Um, This this is kind of easier to catch when you're looking at it because just pile shuffling these four cards or stacking them to begin with is um, easier to notice. The Double Nickel is a specific kind of pile shuffling, where all the lands are on top of the deck, and all of the spells are on the bottom of the deck. And the problem is with this kind of orientation, that if you deal five piles, stack them up, and then deal five piles again, uh, the resulting deck appears fairly random to first glance. So there's spells and lands kind of evenly distributed. Um, no two cards are next to each other unless, you know, they've randomly been that way when they're stacked in the spells. But there is no section of seven cards in that deck with more than three or less than two lands. So no matter where your opponent cuts to, if your opponent just cuts the deck, you will always get two or three lands in your opening hand and see another one within a few turns. And you will never get a six land hand or a seven land hand in your opening hand.
0: So I'm, so you do this fancy double nickel shuffle. Why is it called double nickel? This is two five, fives. Five piles, oh. five piles. Why don't we just call it double fives? <laughs> I don't know. Okay. I well, don't actually anyway. know either. <laughs> I, I, so you're doing this this double nickel shuffling, and I'm the judge called over, and you know, your your opponent's like, hey, this guy only piled shuffled a couple times. How am I as the judge going to know that this isn't insufficient shuffling and this is in fact cheating? Is there any way to figure it out?
2: Uh, yeah. Um, fortunately, I didn't have to present about this because this isn't so much manipulation as it is investigations. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there was there was an investigation. Uh, kind of thing brought up to start with, uh, we did, it wasn't, I think, very long covered, but it, it was kind of covered. Ultimately, the difference between any cheating, including manipulation of game materials and something like insufficient shuffling is, uh, that you do it knowingly and intentionally. So, you know, the, the example for fraud is if you do play in a white knight because you completely forget that that white knight has Black, protection from black, or you think you can do it because you misunderstand protection from black, um, we're going to look at you, and we're going to talk to you, and make sure that you honestly felt this way, and then we're going to fix things. But if you think that your opponent's going to forget that the white knight has protection from black, or you think you can put one over, that's fraud. Um, same thing with, you know, for example, communication game material, if you do shuffle two or three times, and you think that's fine, and you present, um, a judge could pull you aside and say, so how are you shuffling? You know, why are you shuffling? And there, there are certain things like, if I shuffle this way, I get a better hand. That's, that's a terrible, terrible thing to say. And Seems when like a judge it. hears that, um, yeah. you're like, well, did you think that maybe this would be not random? Uh, so it's, that's the, the, the move from this looks like manipulation of game materials to we're going to DQ them has other steps. It's not just the actually catching the act itself. And, Uh, I am perhaps not the best person at investigating. Um, There are certainly other judges that are much better at it than me, including, I believe, Jess. Um, So maybe he wants to talk a little bit about that. But it's such a big topic that um, I think maybe it could be an entire task devoted to investigations.
0: Um, Probably
2: not time to go into it now.
0: Yeah, I I meant more specifically, how do you specifically catch this double nickel move, but it sounds, you know, it sounds like through investigation is yeah. the only way. There's no way to look at the deck and be like, no, this was double nickel shuffled.
2: Right, right. So there's no way to look at the, the deck and actually say that. So what yeah. you do is you actually see them doing this. You see them pile shuffling to five piles twice as a judge. And this is partly why I was so happy that players were interested and came over to the seminar because a player seeing this should, you know, call a judge. And specifically, uh, if you're worried that your opponent is manipulating game materials and you want to call a judge, uh, the best thing to do is put your hand over their deck and then call a judge. So don't shuffle, don't cut, just kind of make it so they cannot grab their deck and call a judge. And then the thing you tell the judge should be, you know, my opponent did these actions, you know, and the, the judge should take it from there. Sounds good.
1: The investigation there is going to be, uh, you know, it's it's really going to only be a series of a few questions, more than likely. Uh, when it, when it comes to investigating pile shuffle type situations, which, by the way, I, I hate the, the phrase pile shuffle. Um, I, I really think that it would be more accurately described as pile counting, since it's not random. But it, when somebody is doing that, uh, as a judge, if I think it's a problem, I would ask them, so why did you shuffle your deck in this fashion? And if the answer is, well, I wanted a more even distribution of lands or something like that, we have a problem. If the answer is I get better draws when I shuffle that way, it's a problem. Really, the only good reason to pile count your deck is, there are two. And the first one is to count and make sure you have 60 cards, and the second one is to keep card sleeves that might be stuck together from staying stuck together. There's,
2: uh, well, then there's a third reason, actually, too, which is to double check to make sure there are no marks.
1: Right, okay. Um, and then, so that's, that's the thing. But uh, the other thing, CJ, that if I think somebody might be cheating through a method like that, uh, I also think that there's probably a pretty good chance that they're doing something else, too. Uh, I'm going to immediately look for marked cards. I'm going to immediately look for uh, some other indication that they might be cheating, because somebody who is willing to cheat uh, usually doesn't just limit themselves to one thing. Makes sense. So, uh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to take too much away from that and talk about investigations, which is actually a different topic, but... Let's let's go back to uh manipulation of game materials. What else what else can we talk about uh on the show that would be uh helpful to judges that might be listening?
2: Um, well let's talk about uh mana weaving. Okay. And this is something that takes place a lot, and um, I assume you all know about it, but just in case, mana weaving is where a player, you know, takes all the lands that they played this turn and they or this game rather, and they put one land down and then two spells, and then another land and then two spells, and then another land and then two spells. Uh and this is Absolutely manipulation of game materials. Um if they're if they do this because well I don't want all my lamps to be clumped together and when I do this they're not clumped together, that's something we need to look at as judges, and this is something I covered as well. Um, the player doesn't necessarily know that this is cheating directly, but the player knows that they're not they're shuffling just this way because it makes them draw better. And although they, they haven't necessarily made the logic jump from I'm going to draw better to This is something I'm going to be DQ'd for. It is something that they're probably going to be DQ'd for at a competitive level or higher event.
1: Okay. So, you know, what, what if we have somebody that, uh, that actually doesn't know, you know, is that something you actually DQ somebody for at a PTQ where they, they, this is their first competitive level event and and they mana weave because that's what they always do at the kitchen table. Are we DQing them for that or are we just kind of telling them, hey, don't do that again?
2: Uh, so I, Um, I feel terrible when I have to tell this player that, I'm sorry, I need to remove you from this event. Um, Because the player is a kitchen table player, and came all this way to a BTQ, and probably feels terrible about it. And the player doesn't mean to be breaking things, and doesn't mean to be causing damage, but the fact is that because they're doing this, um, they are damaging the integrity of the tournament, which is a big thing as far as a what judges should be responsible for. Um, so yes, even though they are not intending to cause damage, they are intentionally doing something wrong, uh, and they need to be removed from the event. Um, as as a head judge, I would try to go a little bit further here with them and say, you know, I'm going to remove you. Let's talk about why this is, Man, of, you know, this is what you're doing. This is why it's not okay. Um, I understand that you weren't trying to be a bad person. Uh, and I'm not, this is not a punishment. This is not me trying to make you feel bad. This is me trying to make things fair for the other 100, 200, 300 people in this event. Since you are here already, you know, there are some side events opening. Uh, I am, and I would check with the TO or venue first with this, but I would say, you know, I, would you like to play in one of those side events? You know, there are also prizes there, um, including whatever, you know, kind of talk it up to them or, would you like a refund for this event, or is there something I can do to make you have fun playing Magic today?
1: That know. sounds really good for somebody that's that's uh, you know not going out of their way to cheat, but ends up doing something illegal.
0: Yeah, I'm not sure if we'd want to give a refund. Like it, it's up to the TO in the end, but everything else sounds great. Uh, I'm not sure if you want to refund them.
1: That that really comes down to the exact situation. You know, I sure. You know, it, I, I, I've definitely seen situations at PTQs where. There's a six-year-old playing in this event because his older brother's here playing, and he really doesn't know what he's doing. It's really unfortunate if we end up having to DQ that player for mana weaving, but we have to treat him the same as we treat everyone else, right? So, right. so I might go farther in that situation to rectify the situation, but it wouldn't change the way I dealt with the initial problem.
2: I I think the the refund thing is is a point where a judge kind of gets involved with the TO and does it. I know that when I was a menu and/or TO, um, I would be perfectly fine um, refunding this individual because it kind of is a draw to the community and it to be it, to be entirely mercenary. It looks good that when something went wrong, I made this little kid uh, feel better about the day. Um, other TOs may feel differently, which is why I said kind of check with the TO first. Um, but try try to make the player feel happy about playing Magic for the day.
0: Well, that makes sense. Cool.
1: So I have to ask, you know, what makes you so passionate about this that you are gonna, that you do these seminars and that you've actually studied this topic enough to demonstrate different ways to effectively cheat?
2: Well, I'm, I'm a savage. No, that's not, <laughs> I should be finished that. Um, well, so I actually, I don't know how many kids actually did the whole stage of magic when they were younger. Um, but I did. And was interested, and never was quite good enough to do anything with it. Um, but so I had kind of this uh, basic familiarity with it. Uh, and then I worked running a store for a very long time. And the magic players were not so much of a concern for cheating regularly, but some other games wherein younger kids were a lot more of the demographic end players. And I won't name names for games. Yeah. <laughs> um, these uh, these players did cheat a lot more and so I kind of was forced to look at how this did and what kids were doing and how you know and it it wasn't so much you know learn how to cheat it was learning how to looks like from the outside Um, and it was it was entirely mercenary it was a if I if I run these great events I'm going to keep having a job and you know get bonuses and all that. Um, so it was, it was monetarily motivated, but having gone through that and kind of jumped into the magic judge program, um, I think it's good that uh, the, the small familiarity I had with it kind of, I worked on intentionally because it's something that not a lot of judges talk about and it's nice to feel like I can bring something to the community and I can kind of instruct judges, uh, and, and make them learn something when they interact with me like a seminar or at a dinner after an event or that sort of stuff.
0: Yeah, you know, I, I was just looking at the IPG for manipulation of game materials and the whole section is basically five lines and four of those lines are examples. So I think, I think it's a, it's a great topic to, to be able to kind of expand on that a little bit because it's not something you see very often and, and it's not something I would know to look out for a lot of the time. So a lot of what my presentation at Salt Lake City and at
2: Worlds conferences were, was throwing a lot of small examples of here's here's palming a card for drawing extra cards, here's slipping a card off the bottom for drawing extra cards, here's this, here's that, here's the other one. And I'm not trying to make an exhaustive list of this is every way possible to cheat via manipulation of game materials in Magic, because that's silly and basically impossible. But what I do kind of want to see is, um, see players come to realize, and judges come to realize, that while there are all these ways that players could be cheating, I bet there are other ways as well, Let's look a lot closer when I suspect someone might be cheating. Cause I've, I've kind of seen a couple people be like, well, he's not doing this action, which is the only way people can draw extra cards. So he must not be drawing extra cards. And that's not true at all.
0: All right. Sounds great. So
2: awesome.
1: So, uh, I do want to encourage any of our listeners, if they have the opportunity to go to a judge conference at a GP or something like that, there are lots of seminars that can be uh are very useful, and, and this one in particular I found very useful. Uh, so if you have the opportunity to go to a judge conference, you should absolutely be doing that. And, uh, Arthur, I, before we get off of this topic too much, uh, is there anything that you really wanted our viewers – or, sorry, <laughs> if we don't have viewers – our listeners to Yet. know about about this topic?
2: Uh, yes. I want them to know that they should call a judge. If you are concerned that your opponent is doing something shady, call a judge. Man, that's that's kind of across the board, no matter what they're doing. But um, it is okay to call a judge and say, you know, my opponent is doing this shady thing. I am concerned. Judges are here to answer rules questions and to fix errors and also to make you feel better about an event. So, please, judge, I am concerned that my opponent is acting shady or my opponent is doing this thing that, you know, I don't quite feel comfortable with. And judges will be happy with this because we cannot watch every player
0: all the time. We rely upon players to help out. Um, how about call a judge? We should cut out what Arthur just said and put it at the end of every segment we do on any topic ever because it always <laughs> applies. Uh, and, and I think we forgot to mention this, but Arthur's seminar was recorded, and as soon as we can find the link for it, we're going to put it in the show notes. So if you're if you're out there and you're interested in yes, seeing it, it for was, yourself. Uh,
1: I believe it was actually broadcast on uh, Star City Games' Twitch feed. Yes. And uh, it's, so if it's not there now, it should be up on the archives, and we'll make sure to have the link on the show notes. So if you're listening and to this, check the show notes. What's that? And rebroadcast. All right, a we're not here to brag, down. okay? I mean, we got
2: a podcast, so <laughs> we're doing okay, too. I guess if, in fact, you go watch this seminar, uh, I'll apologize in advance for, you know, language <laughs>
0: that may have come up over the course of a seminar. Who go back and watch my old seminar on uh, head judge announcements? I apologize for my fat belly because that shirt was a little bit too tight. I did not notice.
1: That's uh, that seems to be one of the hazards of the judge program is that uh, you end up with this big belly. I mean, I don't know that from experience, but, <laughs> I
0: judge it. but from a sampling, I
1: gained. It. Right, go ahead.
0: Oh no, I just said from a sampling of looking around. Yeah, it it happens. My belly has
2: certainly grown since uh I've become more active in the judge program.
1: So obviously that proves
0: that being a judge makes you fat.
1: Anecdotal evidence.
2: <laughs>
0: yeah. Uh um, so, so moving on. Go ahead. Yeah, let's do it. Let's move on. So we All wanted right. to talk about our contest that we announced last show. We it was kind of thrown in the middle of me talking about Judging at a GP, so some people may have even missed it. And we wanted to be a little bit more clear about what it's about. So our contest is, it's for a goblin welder. I have a judge for a goblin welder that we'll be sending out to whoever can give us the best other judge story. And, and I think we've had a little bit of confusion as to what an other judge is. And an, an other judge, actually Jess, you explained it great before the show. So how about you take it away?
1: Okay. So the, the other judge stories are uh, stories where you as a judge come up to a player and they have a question about something, and you give the answer, and they say, but the other judge said this. And uh, some of those stories are very amusing because you know there's no way a judge would have said that, and you're trying to figure out how they got that out of whatever the other judge said. And what we've ended up getting is a bunch of situations where people are saying, oh, I was a player, and the other judge told me this, uh, which I know is wrong. And that's not what we're what we were looking for. We're not trying to call people out. We were looking for amusing stories that you've heard from players about what the other
0: judge said. Yes, exactly. Uh, and we also have an official end date for this contest. All entries need to be in. We'll say by midnight. Um, I'll give you till midnight, just Dunk's time, which is Cal Pacific. Yeah, that's Pacific actually what's called.
1: Yeah, that's actually uh, uh, later on. So midnight yeah. Pacific time cool. on. Go ahead,
2: Arthur. The best, the best way to say that is by the time that the uh, Daily MTG site updates.
0: Because they it midnight. No, wait. Never mind. No, they do Eastern. That's, that's wrong. Ignore me. <laughs> <laughs> no. Yeah. So Monday, so, April sixteenth, by three a.m. Eastern time is when you have to have it in. See, we, see,
1: this is Arthur trying to manipulate our contest, right? Yeah. This, is, this is all that that stuff that uh, he was Enter talking. Enter
0: last about. minute. I don't see any entries from Arthur.
1: Yeah, I know. I don't know what's uh, Arthur. Apparently, I, doesn't have other judge stories. Um, I don't.
0: I'm always judging. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> so you, you are the other judge, maybe. Or,
1: Thing. Well, yeah, Arthur is sometimes the other judge. There are definitely stories running around about, about what Arthur has done. Um, but they're not, they're not always bad stories, so. What kind of stuff have we received in the way of rules questions, CJ? Have we gotten anything in the mailbag over uh, the last two
0: weeks? Hey, you just said the magic words, which is mailbag.
1: Ah, I said the
0: mailbag. Okay, Arthur. So. You're the guest. You need to give mm-hmm. us your best mail time and your highest pitched voice that you can possibly pull yeah. off. Um. what? <laughs> Do it.
1: You have to say mail time in, in the highest, highest pitch you could possibly Do must you
0: not make. listen to JudgeCast? What is this? I, I do, I just,
2: I don't, I, I think it was clear <laughs> that this wasn't gonna happen. because, You know, the embarrassment and the shame and the, alright, let me, let me clear my throat.
0: Clear your throat>, her throat first.
2: Um, mail time.
0: <laughs> what? <laughs> you know what, it's still better than Sean Ketanese's. Alright, let's start with our, our, our rules questions that we got. Uh first we got one from some guy named Thomas Edgar from Stuttgart, Germany. I've been there. Ah oh, man, do I got I have to do a German accent? Why did no. why did I take over reading the mail? Oh, don't do the accent. Just just read the question. <laughs> and uh, and we'll answer it. Unless
1: unless uh, maybe Arthur can answer it in a German accent. I don't know.
0: This ooh, that'd be sweet. <laughs> well here here, let me do an impression of Arthur's German accent. <laughs> Hello, I'm German and I'm from Germany. <laughs> So, this <laughs> <laughs> So, Thomas asks, at a recent PTQ, we had the following situation come up. To preserve the parties involved, I won't give out too many details, but I wanted to ask your opinion on the subject. The format was moder- modern, and a player was playing the Malira-Undying combo. Said player wanted to use Viserys Seer as a sack outlet and called over the judge with the following request. Uh, so basically, this combo allows you to sacrifice Malira infinite times.
1: Uh, no, it allows you to, uh. Sacrifice something infinite. It's, uh, sacrifice things with persist.
0: Yeah. So kitchen finks or...
1: S- t- kitchen finks, finks or re- murderous red cap. Kitchen finks gains you infinite life and murderous red cap kills you.
0: Yeah, why'd they mention undying in here? That-
1: uh, it's a similar mechanic. Anyway. I suppose... So
2: what happens is, when when Malera's out, when you sacrifice a kitchen finks, it comes back without the minus one minus one counter for persist. Right. You can keep sacrificing it. With yeah. Micaeus out, what happens is, because persist and undying each trigger at the same time, You sacrifice that Kitchen thing, for example, and the first time it comes back with Persist, so it comes back with minus one, minus one. And then when you sacrifice it again, it's got a counter on it, so Persist won't trigger, but Undying will. So it'll come back with Undying, then it'll come back with Persist, then it'll come back with Undying. So Machaes is another um, kind of Malira part of that combo that doesn't get killed by explosives on two, doesn't get Legend ruled, you know, it's kind of redundancy. You can search for it uh, on six instead of on two if you have a Birthing Pod out. So it's it's the same role, just in a different manner.
0: Okay. So with that being said, I think you guys know where the question's going to go. But he called over the judge with the following request. Since this is a loop that I can repeat until I end up with a certain card of my choosing on the top of the library, will you allow me to search my library for the card in question, shuffle the rest, and put it on top? And Thomas asks, would you allow this, and what actions would you take if so or if not? Is there an infraction here? And he he says he thinks he knows the answer, blah, blah, blah. And he he, wants his he actually
1: said he wants to hear a more educated word on the matter. Yes, and that's us. Uh, uh, so. Little does he know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: we'll show him who's
1: educated. So, so Arthur, if this happened at your event, how would you, uh, how would you handle the situation?
2: I kinda wanna double check to make sure I'm not run afouling, running a file of the new, uh, undotted loop rules. But, yes, and. and so and it's not, so that. the, I'm going to search my deck and shuffle isn't exactly right here because the rest of the deck isn't random. He actually um, scries one several times, so he can scry one and learn the order of his deck. And then he can learn the order of his deck and keep bottom decking cards until he gets the card he wants. But the rest of the deck isn't random. He's actually going to have knowledge of it. Uh, and particularly in a situation where he's already got here out, uh, I am kind of hesitant to... Uh, randomize when there's a good chance that he's already scried a couple times and knows what's on the bottom of the deck.
0: So, what do we tell this player though? Because you don't want to give strategic information, but basically what he's saying is wrong. You can't shuffle the rest of the cards. That would be incorrect.
1: Well, I think, I think the answer to this question, uh, at a competitive level event simply has to be no, you cannot do that. Yeah. Uh, I don't me. think we can, I don't think we can explain to that player any more than Saying just no, you can't do that. Now of course we can go into a little bit more detail here on JudgeCast, but at the event in particular, so, uh you wouldn't say you wouldn't tell him anything, you just say, uh, no, you can't do that unless he asks a more specific question. So
2: yeah, what is the exact question that the judge fields here? Uh
1: the exact question is, will you allow me to search my library for this creature, shuffle the rest of my library, and put this creature on top?
2: No, that is not legal. Right. Yeah. I mean, like that's that's it. So
1: uh, in fact, I don't even think there is a good way to shortcut that with the situation. I think we're just going to... Because I don't think that the new shortcut rules address this particular issue.
0: Yeah, you know, the shortcut rules say that you have to say how many times you're going to repeat the loop. You yeah. have to give a definite number, and then also what you expect the end state to be. So, like, as... as sorry, go ahead, Jess.
1: I was just saying, I'm pretty sure you could say... You know, I am going to scry until I find this card. Uh, even Uh, though that's, that's not a loop, you're still going to actually go through and do those actions because you're not demonstrating a loop. You're just saying, I'm going to scry this many times.
2: The problem is it's really hard to scry one of them because each time, you you know, there's no way of picking up two or three or five. It's, you're scrying one at a time. Mm -hmm. I think it's fine to say, I'm going to scry a number of times equal to the cards in my library. Mm -hmm. Uh, I will be putting it on the bottom each time. Um, and if a player said that, I would actually like and I was there to make sure there were no shenanigans shenanigans, I would actually allow the player to uh in the interest of time, you know, pick up the deck because it's going to end up in the same order and look through them, provided it does not change the order of cards. Yeah. I'm I am fine with that. And then and then having done that, I am also fine with the player further saying, Oh, I will scry twenty three times and put the cards on the bottom each time. And, and you know, happen to know that the 24th card down is murderous red cap. Um, I am only fine with this whole picking up the deck manipulation if there's a judge right there watching to make sure he's only looking and not moving.
1: Yeah, I I, I, I I think that makes sense. All right, great.
0: So, Thomas, there's our educated opinion, and we can move on to the next question. The next one is from a handsome man named C.J. Schrader from Smyrna, Georgia. That's coincidental. He says, Hey guys, love the show. I had something come up at our last last draft. Player A had Blazing Torch equipped to a green creature. He flung it at his opponent's creature. In response, his opponent gave the creature protection from green. What happens? And there's a follow-up question, but I'll wait. And then he says, Anyway, you guys are the best. I will listen to every episode. And he put every episode in caps. I like that guy.
2: I uh, I don't think he's gonna listen to every episode.
0: He's done it so far. All right, <laughs> let's. Li- I'm gonna read uh, Blazing Torch real quick. Uh, irrelevant part is equipped creature can't be blocked by vampires or zombies. Relevant part is equipped creature has tap, sacrifice Blazing Torch. Blazing Torch deals two damage to target creature or player. So what happens if that creature that is targeted gets protection from green when it was a green card that sacrificed the Blazing Torch?
2: So I actually remember this question coming up a lot more with um, Judge. Why why can't I throw my blazing torch at my Why can't me Mono Red throw this blazing torch at my opponent's Core Firewalker? Yes. Um, and the relevant parts here for the slightly convoluted wording is that blazing torch itself is dealing the damage, so it's colorless damage and it's damage from an artifact source. But the ability is actually on the creature, so the creature is the one that's. Uh, the source of the ability, um, and protect, if the creature is green, uh, then protection for green is gonna mean that that ability is counted upon resolution because the target's no
0: longer legal. Sounds great.
1: I actually had a situation come up with Blazing Torch in, uh, in a strat, uh, I'm sorry, in a strat sealed, where a player, uh, played Traitor's Blood on a creature that I controlled, which had a Blazing Torch on it. Uh, and then didn't understand why he couldn't sacrifice the Blazing Torch to deal two damage to me. Was uh, this in person or Magic Online? This was actually Magic Online, and it was very funny because the cr- creature was Stitcher's Apprentice, so all I saw was the creature tapping back and forth as he tried to activate the ability, and mm-hmm. Magic Online thought he was trying to activate the Stitcher's Apprentice ability. Um,
2: and then the text box, right? The, why isn't this working?
1: Yes. <laughs> uh, yep. th- th- Stupid and, Magic uh, Online bugs. Yeah, he thought it was a bug, and I tried to explain why it didn't work, and he didn't understand. The reason it does not work is that the uh, the artifact it gives the ability to the creature, but you still have to sacrifice the artifact as a cost, and you cannot sacrifice permanents that you don't control. This and is i a, s- I'm
2: sorry, go ahead. This is a lot better example than the EDH Experiment crash, um Blazing Torch Interaction that I was going to bring up. <laughs> what?
0: Yes, that is a <laughs> uh anyway, CJ here. He also asks, and what if it was protection from artifacts? What happens in that situation? If the opposing creature has protection from artifacts, can you even activate the blazing torch? Jess?
1: Oh well that's a really good question. Uh the creature can activate the blazing torch as long as it is not a green artifact creature. Yes. Uh because the creature has the ability. Um well as long as it's not an
0: artifact creature, it doesn't matter what color it is. Yeah, protect from green's um, removed from the question now.
1: Right. So so as long as the creature is not an artifact, it can still activate the ability, but when it resolves it will deal no damage because the artifact is dealing the damage to the creature.
0: Yep. Seems a little awkward. Uh it is a little awkward, yes. I can't say people entirely believe me when I explained it, but uh that's how it is. So we also got a couple of contest entries. I think we'll wait to read contest entries until the next show because this one is getting up there a little bit already too. And we got one more email and this was, this was uh, someone's other judge story, but I, I, it didn't really qualify as an other judge story, but I felt like it was something we, we should discuss. Okay. Um, in, in ways it's, it's a bad beat story. It's a long email and we'll, we'll just kind of take it in parts. Uh, the name is Annie Mortimer and I'm not sure where I'm assuming she is from. But she says, <clears throat> you know, the subject is my other judge story. And she says, basically, I made a dumb mistake and the opponent threw the book at me. I admit that up front. But last weekend in Tennessee, I was at a draft tournament and I had an other judge situation which involved three judges by the time everything was over. Uh, she says she'll try to jump to the most important part. She had Tower Geist, which is a card that says when it enters the battlefield, look at the top two cards of your library. Put one of them into your hand and the other into your graveyard. And basically what she did, I'll summarize here, is she took the two cards and she briefly merged them, while looking at them, merged them with her physical hand of cards. So they touched. And the opponent was like, whoa, stop. And he shouted for a judge to come over. At the time, she thought the guy stood up and yelled, judgment. But she says, full disclosure, he was probably just saying judges. I wish people said judgment. That's pretty sweet. That'd be pretty cool. I need judgment over here immediately.
1: That's, so, a, that's a bit dramatic, I think. I I uh, like it though. Uh it it uh it kinda reminds me of the uh if you've ever opened up the judge center to the section uh to the dis- disqualification section mm-hmm. where you have to input DQs, the first line, the headline is dis- is is to uh, administer justice. <laughs> um
0: which is very dramatic. It just reminded me of that. I'm sorry. I, I like it. Mediation. I need mediation over here. Need <laughs> it. All right. So and they're also from the nineteen twenties, that's why they talk like that. So this opponent he says to the judge, You are supposed to look at the two cards from Tower Guys, not draw them. Uh long story short, basically, she got the game loss for drawing extra cards here, which which is the correct ruling. Uh but she felt she she goes on to write, I feel like it was the kind of thing that a thirty percent normal guy would have been cool with, but he called a judge over and they gave me a stern lecture and an automatic game loss. Like I technically did something wrong, but he had to call his lawyer to prove it. So I wanted I wanted to talk about that a little bit before we go on with her email. Okay. Uh, so- Let's
2: make
0: sure, just
1: because I think I missed it, this was a PTQ? Yes. Okay. Okay, so uh, let's discuss this.
0: Oh, actually, it any- says draft tournament. So I'm actually not sure what the rules enforcement was. I think she was at competitive, though. Well, Maybe like uh,
2: an open side
1: event?
0: Yes, yeah, something like that.
1: Well, here's... let me Let me bring this up really quickly. I have definitely played at stores that maybe didn't have a certified judge, but had someone acting as a judge mm-hmm. that did not understand that you don't give game losses at regular REL. So this may be a situation like that. It may have been a regular REL event where the judge didn't maybe wasn't certified or didn't understand what they were supposed to be doing, uh, and gave a game loss where it wasn't appropriate. But if it's competitive REL, like a PGQ or a draft open at, at a Star City Games event, please continue what you were going to say. Okay, well,
2: well, so, she brings up the. So I feel like if my player, if my opponent were X different, then it would have happened differently. And I, I'm going to mention a story from Salt Lake City this past weekend. Um, I gave a player a penalty, and this player's opponent said, "Oh no, no, no! You don't have to do that. He's fine." Um, and my response was, you know, I, I appreciate this sportsmanship, you know, class act, but yes, I do. And we can talk about it later. Um, and after the match, he actually did talk to me about it. And it's like, so, so, what's the deal? So the penalty was a slow play penalty, uh, and his argument was, my opponent, you know, conceded early game one. Uh, we're gonna have plenty of time. Uh, don't worry about it. Uh, and my response was that the penalties are not designed to adjudicate just between two players in a game. They're designed to address the tournament as a whole. Mm-hmm. Um, so in this case the penalty is going the appropriate penalty is going to be drawing extra cards whether this uh person's opponent is the nicest guy in the room or the biggest i won't say it uh in the entire magic community um jerk
1: we we jerk. determined last last time that jerk was a very judge cast friendly word poopoo head so the the appro- so the appropriate the appropriate penalty here
2: is independent of how the uh, players in this match are friendly or not, or sportsmanlike or not. There are certainly better ways to, like, hope that players will be sportsmanlike and not jerks. But I think, um, is there a good way to kind of explain this beyond we're being fair to the tournament and the other players in the event, not just to you?
1: Yes, I think there is. Uh, I think in this particular circumstance, with this particular infraction, Uh, I I think that this player needs to understand that nobody's calling them a cheater. Uh, One of their comments uh, was that this whole interaction made them feel like a criminal over what was an honest mistake. And I think all too often, players feel like we're calling them cheaters when we're not. The penalty for drawing extra cards is there because drawing extra cards is a very easy thing to to get over on your opponent and your opponent may not notice that you've drawn extra cards or that you somehow combined your hand maliciously. Uh not that this person did, I don't think they did, but it's something I, that you could try to do and get away with. And because of that we have we have this higher punishment of the game loss for it. And if we honestly thought she was cheating, the conversation would have been different because there would have been a disqualification involved. Right. I think this is important. I think
2: players should we should try to if possible, let players know that if we think you are
0: cheating, the penalty will be DQ. Goodbye, not anything less than that. Absolutely. Uh, I'll finish because you guys are kind of touching on it already, but I'll go ahead and finish off her letter real quick. And he, she's talking about another game she was in. I'll just summarize it real quick. Uh Basically, she's in another game. Her opponent has Unruly Mob, which gets a counter whenever a creature dies. Plus, whatever counter. You, okay. you control dies. Yeah, I'll double check that. And a creature died, and before she could even say anything, or in her opinion, before she could even say anything, there was a judge watching and he stepped in and was like, hey, uh, why didn't you guys put a counter on that? And, uh, and eventually they actually investigated her some. They, they pulled aside the head judge, uh, they, they talked to the opponent, they talked to her, you know, took some extra time, gave them an extension. And of course came down that nothing odd was going on, but this, this is the, uh, line where <clears throat> she feels like the implication. this is what she, her words were, the implication was clearly, I saw the other judge already had a problem with you, buddy. Oh, I'm sorry. She said uh that she was asked, like, were you trying to intentionally miss the trigger to gain advantage? It sounds really fishy. And she's saying the implication was she made a mistake earlier. Now she feels like, you know, judges are out to get her. She says that she responded with, whoa, man, I am just trying to have fun with a magic wizard battle, dude. I'm not trying to pull a, a fast one, which I kind of like that response, but...
1: And exactly. she wanted...
0: Was that? I think that is an amazing response. Yeah. Magic wizard battle, dude. After all this mediation. <laughs> she says she felt like she was made to feel like a criminal. And and I just wanted, you know, I, I sent her a, a long response, but I felt like we should talk about it on the show too. Um, oh, she also ended with, anyway, thanks for your time and may Raven Fox be with you, which I appreciate right. a Raven Fox um, so call out. Raven Fox, Raven Fox, Raven Fox. Um, so
1: yeah, I think that this situation is a little awkward because it may not have anything to do with the previous judge interaction because they took the other player side and talked to them. The other player might have said, I think my opponent was trying to miss this on purpose. There are two things I want to point out about this. And one is that there are any number of reasons that a judge might have asked that question, and it has nothing to do with with uh, that particular, or the earlier situation. If I see something like this come up, and both players miss it, I may not say that it sounds really fishy, but I'm probably going to ask the other player, did you notice this trigger? Did you let them do it intentional or miss it intentionally. Uh, the second thing I want to bring up is that this is actually one of those triggers we were talking about earlier in the show. Yes, it where, is where according to the new IPG, if you miss it and your opponent says nothing, that's okay. Your opponent doesn't have to say anything about that anymore. So moving forward, not only would this be something that, that, that she could uh, do, but there would be no penalty and no conversation and nobody would think anything was fishy at all.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And and the only thing I want to mention is is it may sometimes feel like judges are kind of out to get you, but we're we're never like that. You know, I've never had some guy and I'm like, I can't wait to give that guy a game rule violation. I'm just going to swarm over him. We're, we're just I to be honest, I have felt that
2: way, but this guy <laughs> was named Scott Marshall.
0: Oh. Um, <laughs> well, oh. So. He's apparently terrible at magic, so it's fine. But yeah, we're we're not out there. We're not trying to do that. Uh we we don't like get some joy out of giving penalties, but we are trying to keep the, the tournament uh, fair for, for everyone in it, and sometimes we do have to do these investigations, and, and they might seem harsh, uh, but it, it, it's the only way we can get down to the bottom of these situations.
2: Um, I'm going to bring something up here because Ricky has been bringing it up recently. All right. Um, players often don't know that they can give judges reviews. Just like judges give other judges reviews, uh, players can sign in and to the judge center and say, this judge here at this event did a good job or could have done better job here. And while well, I'm not advocating jumping on the judge center and saying, oh, you know, you were a terrible judge and you got the ruling wrong and I should have won this, yada, yada, yada. It is a possibility that you can jump on and say, um, I don't know if you as a judge fe- saw this, but I felt like this. Perhaps you could address this better. Um, this is what you did well. This is what you did poorly. Um, and judges see this, and so this is a kind of nice way to give feedback to a judge that isn't um, the confrontational going up to the judge in person and doing that. It's just kind of saying, you know, like I, hey, 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 I understand you were working and um, you weren't trying to make me feel this way, but I felt this way. And judges, I I appreciate when I get feedback from players, I because sometimes I, you know. Don't catch that they, I, they think I'm being short with them or, uh, otherwise being a jerk. Um, and this is a good way to remind me of it. So that's also exciting.
0: So if you want to send us any email or get in contact us with any, in any way with anything you want to say, uh, you can email us at judgecast at gmail.com. Additionally, you can contact us on Twitter. Our Twitter handle is judgecast and you can like us on Facebook, which is also Judgecast. uh the twitter and facebook in particular are great ways to to learn of upcoming shows and every once in a while we might say a little something uh additionally we are now on stitcher radio which is some fancy thing that lets you stream podcasts and other radio shows so if that's a service you use you can go get us from there instead of mtgcast.com uh you can also always comment on our shows on mtgcast but we're not emailed when those are commented on so sometimes we miss it
1: uh, if you uh, send something uh, to the Twitter account, I now have that set up to uh, notify me directly when someone uh, sends a message using our Twitter handle. So right. that definitely will get responded to moving forward. And please follow us on uh, on Twitter and, and you will get notified of our new broadcast.
0: Makes us feel good. Uh, I would, if you do have a rules question, I would ask that you send it on email and not Twitter because it's just difficult to give out a full rules question on Twitter, but... If that's nah. all you can say, I guess, so. Nah. All right, all right.
1: <laughs> all right. Uh, I want to thank Arthur for coming onto the show and uh, talking about the IPG with us and talking about his seminar.
0: Yeah, thank uh, you a lot, Arthur. Was, I think that was really good. Yeah, it was a pleasure. Uh,
1: uh, I think that uh, we may actually have more about the topic to discuss as we really get into it. So maybe sometime in the future we can have you on again. Would that be okay with you? It's fine by me. Uh,
2: maybe uh, after I do a seminar again sometime coming up here. I think there's one at Comic-Con. Uh,
1: that would be really cool. And maybe we could actually get part of that recorded to give examples of what we're talking about. CJ, did you have anything to add before we left?
0: No, I'm all done.
1: All right. Uh, so for JudgeCast, I'm Jess Dunks, and
0: I keep it fun. I'm CJ Schrader, and I keep it fair. Thanks for listening.